Hello and a warm welcome to this bonus episode of the EMJ podcast. My name is Dr Hannah Moyer, Senior Medical Writer and Moderator for EMJ. Today I am delighted to be bringing you a fascinating discussion as part of a four-part series on diabetic peripheral neuropathy, the forgotten complication of diabetes. This podcast has been supported by Viatris. For today's episode, I am honoured to be joined by two experts in the field of diabetes and neuropathy who will share their insights and personal experiences of working with those living with diabetes. Both of our guests join us from Sheffield Teaching Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust located in the UK. Our first guest is Mr Oliver Binns-Hall, who works as a podiatrist at Sheffield Podiatry Services and also serves as a research associate at Sheffield Teaching Hospitals. Ollie specialises in wound healing and advanced diabetic assessment. His research investigates the early signs of neuropathy in patients with diabetes and explores the role of podiatry-led integrated care pathways. Ollie also works closely with our next guest. Professor Solomon Tezve, who is a consultant physician and endocrinologist and research director of diabetes and endocrinology also at Sheffield Teaching Hospitals and the University of Sheffield. His research centres on diabetic neuropathy and neuropathic pain, focusing on its epidemiology, risk factors, pathogenesis, central nervous system involvement and treatment. In addition, he is a visiting professor at Shanghai Zhao Tong University and adjunct professor at Zhanghai Hospital Central Southern University in China. Professor Tezfei has an extensive academic profile with publications, grants and awards for his scientific contributions in diabetic neuropathy and his innovative patient-centred diabetes care. He has been chairman of the International Expert Group of Diabetic Neuropathy and has authored several consensus papers on the management of neuropathic pain. Thank you both for joining me for today's discussion with EMJ. In this final episode, we continue our discussion with a focus on adapting the future recognition and treatment of diabetic neuropathy, where we will explore the dynamic landscape across diverse clinical realities and various countries. Ollie and Solomon, it's wonderful to have you back joining us again for yet another insightful discussion around diabetic peripheral neuropathy. In the previous episode, we talked about some integrated patient care programs that are taken up at Sheffield, as you refer to as the one-stop shop approach, and how they have a big impact there for patients with diabetes and diabetic peripheral neuropathy. How do you propose that such programs that you're mentioning can be implemented in other countries? I'm thinking those that perhaps are resource limited or technology limited. Is it going to be as impactful in those other countries, Solomon? Um, okay. Uh, well, again, we, we I think it's a very important question because this is expensive. Many countries uh, do not have these. It's not hardly any money, but the concept of one-stop shop, nevertheless, will work wherever you are. And so uh, recently we went to the Philippines and we met with health leaders, guideline development groups. We put them in one room in, in Manila. Um, and, and what we did is actually we just said, you know, what, what, you know how, how can we change the situation? You have a situation in, we think the situation is bad in the UK. Actually, if you go to developing countries, I mean, at the age of 42, one of the doctors mentioned uh, her brother, uh, who has type 1 diabetes, 
didn't even know he had neuropathy, ended up having an amputation and was found to have end-stage renal disease and died soon after. I mean, the situation is dire in these countries. So what we've done is we included key stakeholders, patients groups. We included, you need to have everybody, the patients groups, the patients themselves, the hospital managers and ophthalmologists, the, the podiatrists. We put them in one room in Manila and I said, why don't we start the one-stop shop? Actually, when I went and visited this uh, hospital, this is not a private hospital, it's a, a general public hospital, and they did have, they did try to do these tests, but it's done really badly. And what we did is let's organize, let's do a similar one-stop shop, but using just what is recommended, the vibration sensor, rather than the monofilament, that, you know, one to eight hertz vibration sensor. He diagnoses neuropathy a little earlier, uh, earlier, not very early, but not uh, earlier than the monofilament. And also people given um, education um, and also pinprick sensation, also asking the patients if they have painful neuropathy. Again, in one hour, one stop shop in Sheffield, what we found is 25% newly diagnosed painful neuropathy, previously undiagnosed painful neuropathy, because we use the DN4 questionnaire as part of that. It takes two minutes. Um, and this questionnaire. And again, uh, in, the, in the Philippines and in this developing country, actually, quite a lot of people develop painful neuropathy at higher rate than in the UK. If you go to the Middle East, instead of 25% having painful neuropathy, it's 60%. We do not understand why patients have a lot more painful neuropathy than we have. So what this screening service is organizing it in a resource-sensitive way, um, and and but, but everybody was willing to contribute. And in, in places like India now, there are mobile phones that can do eye screening. And, and, and again, they are connected to AI and early referral system. So, um, okay, technology where it is available and, and where there is money in the UK and other developed countries, in Europe, certainly, we can go for this. But, but, but in um, poorer nations... We can use the concept that everything is done in one go, which bridges inequality in health. Many people that are the losers in both in the UK, anywhere in the world, are the, the poor people who don't have the capacity to attend multiple times. It's, there is inequality in health. What this one-stop shop does, it bridges this inequality in health because everybody has everything done. People with mental health issues, people with disability. And, and if you go to uh, uh, the United States, uh, recently showed that black and ethnic minority groups have terrible outcomes with foot problems. And, and the one-stop shop clearly would, ha would, would, be, would resonate in these uh, countries. In fact, I'm giving a talk uh, in, in Los Angeles about adapting the system they have in the U.S., which is uh, terribly flawed because it really caters for people who have insurance and, and money, but about 30 to 40 million people can't even afford insulin in, in the U.S. So this is what we need to do, the one-stop shop concept. Um, and so we, we hope to publish our experience uh, in uh, diabetes research clinical practice. We're about to submit the, our experience there to try and reproduce this, uh, not just in, in Europe, but in also developing countries. 
And just to add a little bit in there, even in the UK, we've come across, you know, like when we've spoken to other trusts, they say, oh, our CCG, you know, our higher-ups will never fund these kind of technologies in these clinics. When you look at the amount of money spent on active foot disease, amputation, ulceration, hospitalization through the diabetic foot, you know, you, you can almost argue by putting more money in the prevention side of things, you know, and stopping people developing neuropathy rather than firefighting for the patients that do, you're going to be saving enough money to justify the cost of this new equipment. But more importantly as well, I think we need to look at the human cost of the current failings around diabetic foot disease. Again, they're saying that there's no money for this technology, but is it worth the human cost that we currently have with the number of amputations and diabetic foot related deaths? You know, I think we need to make a big shift towards the preventative side of things with diabetic foot disease and and minimize the firefighting that's needed to be done in the diabetic foot clinics around the world. Just to add to that, it just reminded me uh, a famous quote from the famous uh, great Irish playwright, uh, George Bernard Shaw. Society spends a large sum of money or pays the surgeon a large sum of money to remove a person's leg, but nothing to save it. And this was written <laughs> some 60, 70 years ago. Uh, we are okay to invest a lot of money to pay the surgeon to do bypass operations and sophisticated stuff, uh, which is extremely expensive once the disease, you know, to just delay the amputation by six months, put angioplasty, but nothing to invest actually to prevent would be not only saves money, one billion pound is spent on managing diabetic foot problems. One in every 140 pounds, the NHS spends is spent on the diabetic foot. The, the cost of diabetic foot is more than the combined costs of three of, three of the commonest cancers in the UK. So it is extremely expensive, but you know, whereas, uh, you know, when you have a cancer is very emotive, particularly you have a young child, um, you know, who's got leukemia, which is devastating, sad, but a lot of money goes into research. And you, but the, the diabetic foot, despite being a major issue, doesn't attract that kind of um, response from society, from the government, from, from all. And, and, and so really, I think this is a neglected area that we need to improve. We need to improve, not just in the UK, worldwide. So what are your hopes for the future, Solomon, in terms of treatment and care pathways? I think uh, we need to do a few things. First of all, we need, we've now showed that this is feasible. There's a one-stop shop is feasible. It can be done. It is, uh, it, we are doing further two studies. First of all, if you take it at early, at early size, can you reverse diabetic peripheral neuropathy? So that's called oceanic trial. We're about to start that uh, in Sheffield. In type 1 diabetes, we know when you improve glucose control, the neuropathy reverses or you can prevent it. In type 2 diabetes, there's less evidence because the studies have not been done properly. We're about to start that. So one, the point of care device will diagnose the patient with neuropathy. At that point, if we improve uh, the metabolic factors, because we know the cause of diabetic peripheral neuropathy is high blood glucose, high blood pressure, cholesterol. We published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2005 that the risk factors for diabetic neuropathy are 
uh, cardiometabolic risk factors. And therefore, does improvement of these cardiometabolic factors actually lead to reversal or halting of the neuropathic process? That's one question we need to answer. And I think uh, it will be positive. And if it is positive, then really will uh, confirm that this is something that we can treat and we have to detect it early. And the second thing is, do these point-of-care devices predict the future development of peripheral neuropathy, hospital admissions, amputations? Again, the uh, 3P study in Sheffield is looking into that already. We are presenting in, in the European Diabetes Association meeting. We have a presentation there this September to show that abnormal point-of-care devices eight years ago predict mortality. People that would die are predicted by these abnormal point-of-care devices. Very powerful data. And, and, so, and also we need to look at implementation medicine and, and of introducing these en masse um, around the country. So it will require some studies. It will require negotiating with NHS England. It requires convincing the, the uh, policymakers that this is worthwhile investment to have in order to change the lives of people with diabetes for the better. And Ollie, what's your perspectives on the future? Um, I kind of see the the model of foot screening uh, being adapted to very similar to how the retinal screening's gone. You know, we need to move to a more preventative service, you know, prevent patients from developing neuropathy rather than treating the foot problems as a consequence of neuropathy. Um, and I think this is kind of going to be achieved by using newer, more sensitive technology and that gives us a more clear picture of what nerve function is like in a patient and then the ability to actually track when there's a, a deterioration and what level of deterioration that is rather than it just being a absent or present clinical test. I think we shouldn't also neglect the people that have already got established disease and they have painful neuropathy or have got a numb di uh, diabetic foot. Um, they can't feel these patients, okay, we might not be able to reverse uh, their, their, their condition, but there are ways of treating them more effectively. If people have diabetic foot problems, particularly advanced with foot alteration, a multidisciplinary approach is very important. And, and this is an evolving uh, um, situation in the UK. In, in, uh, this is fairly well developed already now, but, uh, but you know, it is also evolving around the world. People don't have podiatrists. You know, in, in Manila, there's only one podiatrist, you know, just been recently. In China, they don't have podiatrists. You know, so so um, this MDT approach, um, tailoring treatment to the particular condition by vascular surgeons working with diabetes doctors, doctors, nurses, podiatrists, all working together. And also people, orthotists that fashion footwear, uh, microbiologists that treat diabetic foot infections, orthopedic surgeons that um, when there is foot deformity, more likely alteration, they can modify the foot. We all work in concert to improve um, the, to tailor treatment to the individual patient. The same with painful neuropathy. Um, if you have a mild, uh, you know, moderate to painful neuropathy, it can be managed in primary care. When it's more complex, these patients are referred to an MDT, uh, painful neuropathy service that we have in Sheffield, for instance, where we have podiatrists also as part of that, uh, orthopedic uh, surgeons also as part of that. We also have pain specialists. We have physiotherapists. We have psychologists. All these pain specialists, all these are working together also to try and improve 
the condition for the patient, assistive device for elderly patients, and cognitive behavioral therapy for patients with chronic pain but cannot be treated, or spinal cord stimulation uh, uh, for people who've tried everything, nothing works for them. So technology is advancing and we need to work together to have tailored care or individualized care uh, for the patient. Thank you both. I think that's nicely concluded today's discussion, that it's about bringing together teams, bringing together a multidisciplinary approach, adopting new technologies and hopefully shifting that focus of diagnosis to being more early in terms of identifying uh, peripheral diabetic neuropathy. So thank you both for joining me today for this discussion with EMJ. This concludes today's episode on changing the future of diabetic neuropathy and peripheral diabetic neuropathy. We've delved into the role of the podiatrist. We've looked at the integrated care and screening solutions and the ongoing management of this condition. I just want to take a moment to thank Ollie and Solomon for joining us today and for providing their insights. Thank you both. Thank, thank you, you for having us. Cheers. Thank you. So this was the final episode of a four-part series on diabetic peripheral neuropathy, the forgotten complication of diabetes. If you enjoyed this episode of the EMJ podcast, the series can be accessed through your preferred podcast platform. These, alongside an informative infographic, can also be accessed by visiting emjreviews.com. Until next time, take care and goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.